God speak to us, speaks to us in his word in 1 Corinthians 10, 1 through 22. For I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that our fathers were all under the cloud, and all passed through the sea, and all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea, and all ate the same spiritual food, and all drank the same spiritual drink. For they drink from the spiritual rock that followed them, and the rock was Christ. Nevertheless, with most of them, God was not pleased, for they were overthrown in the wilderness. Now these things took place as an example for us, that we might not desire evil as they did. Do not be idolaters as some of them were. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. We must not indulge in sexual immorality as some of them did. And 23,000 fell in a single day. We must not put Christ to the test as some of them did and were destroyed by serpents, nor grumble as some of them did and were destroyed by the destroyer. Now these things happened to them as an example, but they were written down for our instruction, on whom the end of the ages has, has come. Therefore, let anyone who thinks that he stands, that he heeds, lest he fall. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape, that you may be able to endure it. <clears throat> Therefore, my beloved, free, flee from idolatry. I speak as to sensible people. Judge for yourself what I say. The cup of blessing that we bless, is it not a participation in the blood of Christ? The bread that we break, is it not a participation in the body of Christ? Because there is one bread, we who are many are one body, for we all partake of the one bread. Consider the people of Israel. Are not those who eat the sacrifices participants in the altar? What do I imply then? That food offered to idols is anything, or that an idol is anything? No, I imply that what pagans sacrifice they offer to demons and not to God. I do not want you to be participants with demons. You cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons. You cannot partake of the table of the Lord and the table of demons. Shall we provoke the Lord to jealousy? Are we stronger than he? This is the word of the Lord. surprised you guys were able to find a seat in this sanctuary today. I mean, given how packed it is in here, this is like the perfect storm. It's spring break week, and it's also daylight saving, so you should be proud. I am proud of you for showing up to church in a nine o'clock service. Way to go. You should be applauded. You totally did it, and those of you that got kids out the door this morning, my goodness, um, you deserve some sort of medal, so thanks for doing that. Hey, uh, open your Bible. Again, we're at 1 Corinthians chapter 10. And we're going to start in chapter 9, the end of chapter 9. Um, a couple things I want to tell you just as your pastor and friend. Uh, what we're talking about today is it would be very easy for us uh, to just kind of like cruise through and say, man, another good church service. We, we like this church. It's, it's a nice church. We're glad that we're a part of it. Those are all good things. I'm, I want us to be a nice and good church, and I want you to be glad that you're a part of it. But we could do all of that and totally miss the Holy Spirit. And so what we need more than anything is for the Holy Spirit to speak to us through the book that he wrote that's also still speaking. It's not just like this is the memoir of God. This is alive. This thing has a heartbeat to it, and it opens its mouth, and it just opened its mouth to us. 
And so I want to invite you to today, uh, check your heart into this. Let's, let's clock in. Let's, let's be at work. Let's do the work that God would have us today so that we can uh, learn how to follow him. And the other thing is this, is we're going to be talking about idols today, and uh, it's really important for us to pay attention to what God might be speaking to us individually. Um, but one of the things that I'm going to talk a lot about today is the idolatry of money in the Midwest, the idolatry of money in America. I mean, I, money is, is idol worship no matter all over the nation, all over the, uh, the world, uh, but particularly where we're at. And that is, and so in particular with this group today, this is a core group of people, mostly members, covenant members in our church. And uh, man, one of the things that we do every week is we talk about um, how to worship God with your giving. And I'm sure that a lot of us get tired of hearing that. It's the devil has done a great job of masking that and making that something that we go, okay, this is what the church is for. This is what the pastor is about. They're all about money. They only want our money. And actually what I would invite you to do is to push back against that darkness. Um, we're, I'm gonna be emailing the covenant members of the church this coming week about the realities of our giving needs here in the church. And the fact is, is that we are behind. We are. And so, hey, if you're in that spot, if you're in that spot where you're going like, man, um, we have been listening to the Lord. Maybe it's time for us. Maybe God has been prompting us to, to really start giving sacrificially but maybe just start giving, period. I wanna invite you to do that. I wanna invite you to do that in this room. And I'm not gonna, I don't wanna make any bones about it. It's, it is a need for us in order to follow Jesus, okay? So you'll be getting that uh, in this coming week if you're a covenant member in this church. Be thinking about how you can push back the idolatry of money by being a disciple with being faithfully um, and sacrificially giving in our church, okay? Good? All right. I'm grateful for the three people in this room that are uh, excited about what I just said. <laughs> um, all right, let me pray for you. Hey, listen, you pray for me. We're gonna ask for God's help today as we approach this. Lord, we do. We ask that you would make us disciples. God, we, we, I just wanna, we wanna identify not with, not, not with how all the ways that Peter was addicted to the approval of other people and the, the ways that Peter didn't follow you, but in the ways that he did. I just think about laying down his life to follow you, giving up his career and giving up, giving up family legacy and giving up all the things that we struggle with. And Lord, we, we ask that you would make us like that. We pray that you'd make us like that. We're not totally there, but we want to be there. So will you change our hearts today and speak to us through your word? Amen. I was watching uh, a documentary and... Um, this documentary was on, on natural disasters. And the particular part of the documentary I was watching was um, on tsunamis. And so tsunamis plus hurricanes plus wildfires plus tornadoes. And this documentary on tsunamis, I, I thought it was interesting because, um, of course, a tsunami is not something you get much warning of. There's been some devastating waves that have hit Indonesia and other places that we've known about. Um, but one of the things that happens with every single natural disaster, even in tsunamis and in wildfires and in hurricanes and in tornadoes, is we get some kind of warning. And one of the things that was synonymous with each one of these types of natural disasters, no matter if they had warning, I mean, people that were in wildfires would get, would get 
months worth almost of warning about wildfires that were spreading, but days for sure. Tsunamis, not as much, but it's still, there's a system that takes place in each of these, and there's also response from the people that are in the path. And you know what a response from most people is, we've gotten the warning, it's time for us to get out of here. We know it's coming, they told us these wildfires, they told us these natural disasters or hurricanes or whatever it is, tornadoes even, uh, in Oklahoma, we don't get much of a warning sometimes with tornadoes, but we get something. It's like we hear the tornado siren, okay, it's time to get in the basement, it's time to get in the cellar, it's time to go somewhere and seek shelter. There is one thing, though, that is congruent with every single, synonymous with every single natural disaster, no matter if they get a warning or not, and it's this. There will be some people who ignore the warning. There'll be some who go, I, you know, I mean, they're telling me there's a tornado down my street, but I don't really know if it's down the street. You know, it might just probably go veer left or veer right. I don't think we need to really pay attention. I mean, I could raise my hand to be that guy for sure. Hurricanes, wildfires. I watched one documentary in the same documentary about wildfires and the people they would interview would be like, you know, we don't really, we hope it just kind of goes around us. It is a wildfire, brother. This thing is not controllable. So their yard starts to burn up and that's when they start to get out of the house and at that point it's too late. And I had a friend who was um, talking about, he was hiking one time, him and his wife, and there were wildfires in the area, Colorado or some, somewhere. And they could see smoke but they just kinda didn't think about it. And uh, one couple passes them and the couple said, hey, it's pretty smoky up there. And they were like, okay, thank you. <laughs> and then just kept on hiking. Another couple comes by and they're like, you know, really, it's kind of dangerous. You might want to think about it. And they're like, okay, keep going. And finally, the third couple, and he described it this way. He goes, this, these people were very Colorado. They were very much hiked all the time, every day. You could tell they retired and they did it so that they could hike. And the lady grabbed them by the arm and says, if you keep going that direction, you are going to die. Literally told them that. One warning, two warnings, and finally the third warning. You will die if you keep going this way. So I'm telling you all that to say, today, via Paul, we are getting a warning from God. And I think it would be to our best interest if we perk up, and if God is is speaking to your heart today. Even when we talk about giving, even when we talk about worship, when we talk about the word of God, then I just would, I would urge you, pay attention, pay attention. You get one life. And the warnings that we get today are very real. These are real things that happen to real people and that are warnings for us today, really. First Corinthians chapter 10 is a massive warning, but it's not the only warning in all of scripture and especially in Corinthians. There are multiple warnings. First Corinthians filled with it. First Corinthians three, be careful how you build the church. Build in the church or your labor will go up in flames. First Corinthians uh, 3.17, if you destroy God's temple, God will destroy you. Chapter five, hand the sexually immoral man in your church over to Satan. If you don't, warning, the whole church will be affected and infected. 1 Corinthians 6, people who repeatedly engage in sexual immorality or adultery or idolatry or greed or drunkenness won't inherit the kingdom of God. Chapter 8, 
eating idle food in a pagan temple could destroy the faith of someone uh, for whom Christ died. Chapter 11, uh, if you participate in the Lord's Supper in an er unworthy manner, you will face judgment, which is why so many of you are sick and some have even died. And then chapter 16, which we'll get to these later. If anyone has no love for the Lord, let them be accursed. Multiple warnings throughout 1 Corinthians. This is a book of warnings. But there is not one more intense. There's not a chapter of warnings more intense, maybe in all of the Bible, than 1 Corinthians chapter 10. And here is the warning. It's simple. Mark, mark these words. These are just two words that, that when, when you see the Bible say flee something, it's, it's like you're heading towards the wildfire. It's in your backyard. You need to, it's time to run. It's time to run. Flee idolatry. Flee idolatry. Don't mess with it. It's not cute. It's not culturally cute. Even if the devil has masked it in our day and age in Oklahoma, it still doesn't make it, even if your coworkers and everybody else says, you should worship money. Even if they say, like, it's okay to, like, worship sex in some way. It's okay to have idolatry towards those things. Even if culture or whatever it is, it's okay to be a workaholic. It's okay to wor worship your job or your career or especially in our culture. It's okay to worship your family, whatever it is. The Bible says it's clear. It says it in First. Corinthians 10, and let me tell you something, I am preaching to myself today. Flee idolatry. It doesn't matter how culturally appropriate it is. Flee from it. The early parts of my walk with Jesus, when I would think about idols, I would probably do like some of you guys did if you grew up in the church or if you thought about this more than one day. I would think, okay, Israel worshiped idols. They would make golden calves. How dumb is that? They would literally fashion these calves or these gods out of gold and then they would bow down and worship them and that equals idol worship. And I just would think to myself, that's so dumb, we would never do that. I would never, ever, ever, first off, I don't even know where I can get my hands on gold and how could I afford enough to make a calf and why would I waste all that money when I could buy a boat or something? <laughs> What's most interesting and most frightening is what Paul is doing is he's writing to Christians in a church. And the way he's talking to them about their Christian life has very little to do with golden calves, but it still has everything to do with worshiping idols. He describes the Christian life, he describes um, fleeing idolatry as this in chapter nine to start out. Do you know that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath. But we, an imperishable. So I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air, but I discipline my body and keep it under control lest after I preach to others, I myself should be disqualified. Paul, the apostle and disciple of Jesus, says even me, I'm at risk of being disqualified for idolatry. Following Jesus, and the proof is here in these three verses, following Jesus is not about a single moment. It's not even about several moments. It's not even about a few moments. It's about obedience. It's about heeding the warning of God, the Holy Spirit, to turn 
to him and abandon, to flee idolatry. That's what following Jesus is. Today we're going to look at what happens when worshiping other gods, what happens, uh, what worshiping other gods mean, and how to follow Jesus and worship him only. And the first thing I would tell you this, don't bank, Paul would say it too, don't bank on spiritual experiences. Don't bank on spiritual experiences. For I do not, for I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that our fathers were all under the cloud and all passed through the sea and all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea and all ate the same spiritual food and all drank the same spiritual drink. For they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them and the rock was Christ. Nevertheless, with most of them, God was not pleased for they were overthrown in the wilderness. God's people, Israel, are used as an, as an example for the Corinthian church and for us today. Something that happened to God's people and the trend of God's people is this. They follow God for a season. They follow him because he delivered them. They follow him through the waters of baptism. They even follow him through taking communion. They follow Christ because Christ leads them. They say, I belong to Christ, I'm a follower of Christ, I have been baptized, I take communion. This is what the Corinthian church was doing and also what the people of Israel, he says it here. Under the cloud means God's, God's, God's guidance and leadership to seek them out. Could we put that verse back up, up on the screen if we can? All were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. That means baptism by water. <clears throat> through their God, their appointed leader, or just look at it in your Bible, verses one through five. All ate the same spiritual food and all drank the same spiritual drink, which is communion, that's the table of the Lord. For they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them, and the rock was Christ. In case, in case you were thinking maybe this was just another God, this was only God the Father, no, no, no. And that Christ comes now, and because of Christ, it's all different for us, we're under grace, we're not under the law anymore. They were under the law, we're under Christ. Paul says, no, no, in case you were confused about that, there is one God, Father, Son, and Spirit. They followed the rock, the rock followed them. He came before and behind, and the rock was Christ. So, the people of God, Israel, they were under the cloud, God's leadership, they were baptized. They ate the same spiritual food and drink that we do. They, they took communion. They drank of the rock that followed them. They followed Christ. They said, we, follow God. we are followers of God. God has saved me. I have been baptized. I take communion. And Christ is my leader. <laughs> and you know what happened to them? The same thing with the Corinthian church. The church was using the grace of Christ as a license to sin and worship other idols. Sex, food, offered to idols, money, wisdom, neglect of their neighbors. They would say and believe what we say. We have been saved, we have been baptized, we take communion, we are good. And all that would have been true of Israel, but here's what happened, nevertheless, verse five. With most of them, God was not pleased for they were overthrown in the wilderness. The word overthrown there is not just like something came over them, translated, it means this, their bodies were scattered in the wilderness. Heed the warning. Heed the warning. 
We cannot bank on spiritual experiences to say, I can worship whatever idol I want to. It's the fact is this, is God is still a jealous God. Christ is a jealous God for us. So many of us in the room today can look back at a time in our life where we had an experience at a camp or in a church setting or whatever. We were saved, baptized, and now we take communion. And I love that, man. Praise God. That is what we want. We want renewal in this church. We want people to be baptized. And they don't have to be perfect. They don't have to have great faith or much faith at all. They just have to have some faith. However, the mark of a follower of Christ is not based on spiritual experiences. It's based on ongoing obedience and repentance. And it's also based on experiences. It's not for sure, not solely based on those. We want renewal. We want to experience and feel the manifest presence of God, but maybe renewal could last our entire lifetime. But for the most part, it's the days and the weeks and when our humanity kicks in, our flesh kicks in, and anxiety kicks in, it's like, what do we do when we're up against it? What do you do when someone sins against you? What do we do? How do we handle that? What do we do when we sin against someone else? It's a life of ongoing repentance and obedience. Fruit of the Spirit, saying no to idols and yes to Jesus. Don't bank on spiritual experiences. Let's move on, verse six. Now those things took place as an example for us that we might not desire evil as they did. Do not be idolaters as some of them were, as it is written. The people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. We must not indulge in sexual immorality as some of them did, and 23,000 fell in a day. We must not put Christ to the test as some of them did and were destroyed by serpents, nor grumble as some of them did and were destroyed by the destroyer. I said this earlier, but I want to re-say it. There's not a single time in the history of God's people where they have stayed faithful to him and only worshiped him. The ark of God's relationship with his people is this. He provides for them everything they need. They complain. They turn away from him and question him and start worshiping idols. And, but then he stays faithful to them even though they're never really faithful to him. God, we are impulsive. <laughs> what have you done for me lately? What have you done for me lately, God? I want these things and you refuse to give me the things that I feel like I deserve. Anybody ever feel that way? I'm identifying with you, I feel that way. I'm like, God, it, I, there are things I feel like I deserve, I've done pretty good. Done pretty good, I, you know. Lived a pretty decent life. I try my best to be honorable to people. I, you know, I'm, I'm pretty, done pretty good. And then I remember something. And this is what's true for them, and it's true for us as well in Israel. The story of God's people is that God provides for them, and then they forget. And then they immediately start worshiping other idols and start to imply that those idols are the ones that provided for them. All of a sudden, my paycheck is because I earned it. All of a sudden, my kids, my family, my life, my whatever, is because I cultivated, I chose well, I've loved well, I've whatever. The problem with that is what happens when your kids don't act right. If you go that route, then whose fault is that as well? 
It's this cycle. The people of God have consistently fallen into this trap of God did not give me the things that are sustaining me. I gave me the things that are sustaining me. So you know what happens then, and I, man, this is about to get real personal and real for Oklahoma especially. If in fact it is up to us to build a culture of economy, a good economy, then all of a sudden we, put, we bank solely in who our government is, what kind of economy we have, how we vote, it's totally up to me whether or not God provides for me. And then we start worshiping that. As opposed to, as a Christian, being set apart. I think it's good to vote your conscience. I'm, I'm not saying throw all that out. I'm just saying, like, ultimately, there's only one who's called the provider. God, the provider. So then if I go down that path, I'm, I'm following the people of God, and I'm just saying, like, ultimately... Well, you know what, if it is up to me, I mean, this is all subconscious. We would never, ever admit this because, you know, it would give ourselves away too much. But if we follow that path, then guess whose fault it was that I sinned or that I got saved? Guess who that's up to? That's up to me. So now I'm Genesis 3. I am God. It is up to me. My money, my life, my happiness, my salvation, my perseverance, up to me. This is the story of God's people, and it's a story of the Corinthians for sure. But it's also, Paul is referencing things that happen with God's people in the Old Testament. He goes to Exodus 32, and then also Numbers 25. And here's what's happened in Exodus 32. Moses is up on the mountain meeting with God. He's about to get the Ten Commandments. The people of God said he delayed. <laughs> Moses delayed, whatever that means. It's just he didn't come down in the time that they thought he should. So they said we should worship other idols, which doesn't make sense, but it's a lot like us. So here's what they did. They went to a priest, Moses' brother Aaron, and they said we should fashion other idols. So he's like, yeah, sure, that sounds like a good idea. So he says, take off the rings of gold that are in the ears of your wives, your sons, and your daughters, and bring them to me. Now, I'm, we're bringing sacrifice to another God now. So all the people took off the rings of gold and were in their ears, brought them to Aaron, and he received the gold from their hand and fashioned it with a graving tool and made a golden calf. And listen to what they said. These are your gods... O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. When Aaron saw this, he built an altar before it, and Aaron made a proclamation and said, Tomorrow shall be a feast to the Lord. And they rose up early the next day and offered burnt offerings and brought peace offerings, and the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. Look at what is happening here. The people of God have said, God did not bring us up out of the land of Egypt. We're making our own gods and we're gonna worship them. They're the ones who brought us up out of the land of Egypt. And tomorrow, we will worship the Lord. Let's just make sure we cover all of our bases. These are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land. How quickly we forget where our sustenance comes from. 
how quick we are to attribute the work that only God has done to work that idols have done. I worked for this money I have. I built my family. I built this business. It belongs to me. It's mine. God can't tell me what to do with the things that I built. Another interesting thing is that Israel, again, says, let's worship these gods and then we'll delay our worship of our God, but we wanna make sure we put him on the shelf with all the other gods. Now, I, that'll preach, man. That'll preach, that's like, that's me and you, that's us. That's if I just make it to church, if I just, culturally speaking, if I just am a Christian, am a church person, you know? And it's okay if I worship other idols. Corinthians, we're living the same life as the Israelites. And so many of us do as well. I can worship what I want so long as I worship God too. Idols today don't look like golden calves, but they do look like gold. We worship money and the stuff that money can get us. When the Bible says you cannot serve two masters, it's either God or money. And it also says this, man, I, we can't escape this. This is real. We need to feel this today. It's so interesting how the Bible talks about the love of money. It says that it is the root. It doesn't, there's nothing else that it mentions this about. The love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Money and evil together. It's the root of it. Let's move on, verse eight. We must not indulge in sexual immorality as some of them did. And 23,000 fell in a single day. This is the next verse. Golden calves made. We must not indulge in sexual immorality as some of them did. 23,000. There are 38, roughly 1,000 people in Shawnee, 75,000 in Pot County. I mean, that is a lot of people. 23,000 fell in a single day. In Numbers 25, the people of God were worshiping sex. There was a group of people called the Moabites who were sort of next to them. And the Moabites worshiped Baal, B-A-A-L, another god. And one of the things that they would do was in their services to Baal, they would actually have sex in the service, but they would also make food, offer it to Baal. And then you would worship Baal through sex and through this ritual. So the people of God, the men of God, were going over to the Moabites, they were having sex with their women, and then they were also participating in the food offered to Baal. God sent a plague, and it killed 23,000 people. <laughs> Andrew Wilson says it this way, two things that are synonymous with each other, people who change their sexual partners will often end up changing their gods as well. And if we are tempted to do either, then the scattering of Israelite bodies across the desert should be a warning to us all. Which brings me to my next thing. God is not mocked. 1 Corinthians 10, moving on. We must not put Christ to the test, as some of them did and were destroyed by serpents, nor grumble, as some of them did and were destroyed by the destroyer. Sometimes we have an idea about God being sort of having split personalities. 
There's the Old Testament God who is God the Father, always angry, always upset, always looking for reasons to just crush people. He just loved it when he was able to kill tens of thousands of people at one time. But then thank God we have Jesus now and Jesus is like God's son, but he's the nice one. He's the kind one. Paul says here, we must not put Christ to the test as some of them did and were destroyed by serpents, nor grumble as some of them did and were destroyed by the destroyer. Verse 11, now these things happened to them as an example, but they were written down for our instruction on whom the end of the ages has come. Therefore this, in our arrogance, let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest that he fall. There are two types of fear, two types of shame, several types of guilt probably. The fear of the Lord, the Bible says, it is the beginning of knowledge. There is a healthy fear that we need. There is something really healthy, and we get it twisted really a lot. There's something really healthy about having an awe of God, about having a fear of like, I don't wanna misstep. I don't wanna get out, I don't wanna just like, I wanna serve God. I mean, in, in my marriage or in my relationships or my job or whatever, I wanna serve God, that's a healthy fear. That thing that kind of stops us from moving one direction, and well, wait a minute now. I, <laughs> I'm gonna stand before God, Almighty, Christ, and give an account for my life. I, I don't, I don't wanna go this direction, I don't wanna fall. There's an unhealthy fear that looks more like crippling, that more, looks more like not being able to take risks or not trusting in the grace that God has given you freely and continues to give you. The balance of, of that is living under the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit to wanna follow Christ and not move towards things that are gonna destroy us or destroy our faith or destroy the people around us, but then also having the grace to understand it's God who sustains us and he won't let us stumble. What gets really dangerous is when we forget both of those things, and that's what arrogance does to us. Arrogance says, I'm gonna exploit Christ because it's all gravy. Paul says in another letter, he says, basically, you are sinning, and you're, you're making so many excuses for the sin in your life that you're actually saying, well, if I sin more, then there's more grace. And he says, no, we should not go on sinning so that grace may abound. Don't do it. Grace is the thing. It, as, it's just evidence of Christ at work in our life. The fruit of the Spirit. Grace is the thing that puts fruit in us, that allows us to be sustained. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. Galatians 6. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will flump from his flesh reap corruption, but the one who sows the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. Paul describes what Israel did and what Corinthians are doing. He used it this way. He talks about the commonality of the idol worship between Israel and the Corinthians and now us. Food, sex, money not a golden calf, common things that we worship. And here's how he describes it. Therefore, my beloved, 
flee from idolatry. I speak as to sensible people. Judge for yourselves what I say. The cup of blessing that we bless, it is, is it not participation in the blood of Christ? The bread that we break, is it not participation in the body of Christ? He's talking about communion now. Because there is one bread, we who are many are one body, for we all partake of the one bread. Therefore, my beloved, flee from idolatry. Don't play with it, don't test it, don't do whatever it takes. And communion is a lifestyle of eating from the table of the Lord. It's obedience and faithfulness and communion with God, but it's also a practice of a sacrament. It's a weekly thing that we do. It's a meal of faith that requires faith. It's more than just a practice. It's a participation in blood of Christ, the body of Christ. Communion weekly is worship of God, reminding ourselves that we worship God and we renounce idols. Verse 18 says, Consider the people of Israel are not those who eat the sacrifices, participants in the altar. What do I imply then? That food offered to idols is anything or that an idol is anything? No. If you remember back to chapter 8 and chapter 9 as well, it's like we believe there's one God, that other idols are just worshiped as gods, but they're not really gods. And also, food is not anything. It's just food. It's just being offered. But you are participating in a worship of another idol when you go to those things. And if you're looking for an excuse to do it, then that means that you're participating in that way. I imply that what pagans sacrifice, they offer to demons and not to God. I do not want you to be participant with demons. You cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons. You cannot partake of the table of the Lord and the table of demons. Shall we provoke the Lord to jealousy? Are we stronger than he? Statement is made, and the statement is this. Our idolatry is not cute. It's not arbitrary. It's not numb, or it's not an inanimate object. Paul says it this way. Idolatry is fueled by the demonic. It's fueled by the demonic. We know there's not other idols. We know there's not other gods, but there is principalities. Which means this, our obsession with money is fueled by the demonic. Our obsession with sex fueled by the demonic. Our addiction to the approval of man, our need for status, our worship of our kids and our spouse, our worship of our ideal home life, our workaholism, our obsession with our careers, drugs, alcohol, of course, fueled by the demonic. It's not arbitrary. It's not just a bad habit. I mean, probably starts out that way. But all of those things fueled by something other than just bad practice. It's a spiritual thing. It's a spiritual thing. Verse 21, you cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons. You cannot partake of the table of the Lord and the table of demons. Demonic, I'm telling you, I'm preaching to myself, man. I've got, look, there are things in my life that I want out of my life so bad. I do, I start to see that it's like, this is actually me worshiping another God. This is me going to that God and saying, thank you that you have delivered me out of the hands of the Egyptians. You understand, that's when we talk about medicating. It's like, these are things that we go like, man, this thing is gonna give me the thing that only God can give me and I'm gonna worship it because it's gonna make me peaceful. It's gonna give me comfort, it's gonna deliver me when God's the only one that can. And that is fueled by the demonic. 
It's a spiritual thing. So how do we escape idols? The Bible says flee. Fleeing means more than just a momentary choice, choice, although it does mean that. But it's more than just that. It means a couple things. One, there's a practice of worshiping God and a practice of fleeing idols. Stephen Um is a commentator that I've read a lot during this series. He says this, one's desires and affections are shaped by the way one lives his or her ordinary life. There is a shaping liturgy to one's life, a rhythm, an order or worship. He goes on to say, one's desires are shaped and transformed by his or her habits, actions, and relationships. One might think this or that is neutral, but Paul is saying that everyone's actions have a shaping effect. The Corinthians' acceptance of and participation in the temple practices made them susceptible and less than suspicious about the dangerous effects of idolatry. It is practice. It's practice. Worshiping God, uh, uh, renouncing idols, it's practice. It's the liturgy of life. It's not forsaking the gathering of believers. It's taking the table together. It's daily word and prayer. It's community groups. It's accountability. It's friends and vulnerability. Uh, And it's communion with God. Communion with God. It's the practice of that, no matter what I feel like or, you know, and I'm not here to say that I'm an expert at this. I'm just saying we need to do this together. Uh, Tim Keller is a pastor that I love, and, and uh, he said something about uh, men who are gifted, you know, um, and who God has given responsibility to lead. And one of the things he said was he's like, we need, we need good character men. We need men who want to be accountable to other men because we're under attack a lot. He was talking particularly about pastors, but it applies to all of us. And he said, you know, have accountability. That's good, but the problem is, is that you can escape accountability. Uh, be married. That's good, but the problem is, is that you can escape marriage. But there's one thing that you cannot escape. Any of us. We cannot escape the conviction that comes from the communion with God, the Holy Spirit. You cannot escape the thing that God puts in your heart that only he can put there. You cannot talk your spouse into being more sinless. (laughs) You cannot talk people into caring about idolatry. You cannot talk them into that. That cannot be talked into. Although I think one of the means by which God uses on earth to establish his kingdom in people is through other people. That's important. But ultimately, God the Holy Spirit is the one that does the work. There's a thing that we can't escape which is the work of the Holy Spirit in our life when we have spent time with him. And I love this. He said, if you can get to the place by God's power, and men, listen to me. Men in the room, listen to me, man. This is hard for us to comprehend, but it's real. If you can get to the place in your life where you have been moved by the love of God in such a way that it both satisfies you and then leaves you wanting more of that, then all of a sudden the worship of other idols seems a lot less important. And that's true for everybody. That's true for women too. I'm not just, I'm just saying, but for all of us, we just, we can't fathom the idea of being moved by the love of God in Christ. But you gotta listen to me. When, when that thing, when, and that comes from order, that comes from ordering your life, 
We tend to think that we want our loves, the things that we love, to then affect our order. We go, okay, and anybody that's married in the room, <laughs> you get married, you love your spouse, but then at some point you gotta, you gotta realize, like, I have to order my life in order to love things. Not let my loves dictate my orders. My orders dictate my love, so you go on dates. You go on vacations together. You say, somebody come watch the kids. You say that. And then those orders dictate loves. That is the whole of the Christian life. That's why the Bible tells us more than more. You should practice these things. Practice them. So then your loves are submitted to Jesus because of the way that you've ordered your life to be submitted to him. So communion with God is not gonna always feel like renewal. I wish it did. Sometimes we just need God to move, like I think he's doing right now in our church, and bring renewal, but by and large, that means like we take communion every Sunday, or we read the Bible, or we pray, and we, you know, and when we get off of that, we try to get back on it, and we confess. And then our loves, they change. Practice worshiping God, and practice fleeing idols. One of the best ways that we practice fleeing the idolatry of money, and I look, man, I know that you, I am sure that you guys get tired of us talking about this, but one of the ways that you practice that is when you get a check, when you get something, you give right off the top of that 10% of everything that comes into your house. That's one of the ways we practice renouncing, burning the golden calf of money. Practice worshiping God. Practice fleeing idols. I would encourage all of you today to go make a list of all the things that you say, man, we need to practice these things better. I think it would be great for you to do that. Husband, wife, family, singles, doesn't matter. And then the second thing is this. It is a fact that God preserves his people. We believe wholeheartedly in the doctrine of the preservation of the saints. Right in the middle of the section of scripture is profound reassurance for us, and it's this, that God is for us, and he says it right here. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond your ability, but with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. It says you are not uniquely tempted. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. You have brothers and sisters around you that can, can and should help. God is faithful in big letters. He provides deliverance. God provides it. He provides endurance. Pay attention to his provision. Don't say like the Israelites, God has not provided. We need to worship other idols because they are the ones that have truly provided. No, no. God's the one that provides. And let's remember how this whole letter to the Corinthians started. It started like this. These people, this church that we go like, man, they're crazy. They're doing literally every type of bad thing. Here's how the whole letter to them started. 1 Corinthians 1, 8 and 9. He, who, God, will sustain you to the end. Guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of his son, Jesus Christ our Lord. He will sustain you. How does he do it? Well, if you belong to Christ today, 
you will be sustained. However, the means by which he sustains you is through the warning and the reality that worshiping other gods, worshiping other idols will destroy you. Both are true. This is a little bit of the paradox and the mystery of the Christian life. You will be destroyed worshiping other idols. God will also sustain you. Both of those things can be true. Charles Spurgeon says it this way, God preserves his children from falling away, but he keeps them by the use of means. And one of these is the terrors of the law, showing them what would happen if they were to fall away. There is a deep precipice, which is a dangerously steep cliff. Deep precipice, imagine walking up to it, a friend walking up to it, they're about to fall off. What's the best way to keep anyone from going down there? Why? to tell him that if he did, he would inevitably be dashed to pieces. How does that person be sustained from going off the cliff? Is the means by which God has chosen to sustain him, but God is doing the work, which is through me telling him you will be dashed to pieces. And then him going, I don't wanna be dashed to pieces. Hey, if there's a wildfire, you should get out of the house. If there's a if there's a hurricane coming that's gonna, that everybody, all the experts that aren't, that you're not, I'm not a meteorologist. If you know Zach Merrill at all, you know he's about as close as we've gotten this church to meteorologists. We're not that, we don't, we're not the expert, we haven't gone there, we haven't done that. And I look at the expert, Paul, who looks back at history and goes, that's what experts do, they predict based on what history, it's like this type of cloud, this type of whatever it is, this. This looks like it's gonna be a really dangerous tornado. So whether they get it right or wrong, whatever it is, we, we just, you know, I'm not here to like prop up Oklahoma meteorologists, but we go, there's the expert. They looked at history. Paul's doing that right now. It's, there's histories to support these things. If a tornado's coming and the siren goes off, you should get in the basement. If a hurricane's coming uh, and they tell you, man, it's on its way, it's destructive, you should, you should get out of town. If there's a tsunami coming, you should get somewhere where the water can't get to. If there's a wildfire, you shouldn't wait till it gets to your back door before running out of your house. Heed the warning. God is actually sustaining us right now. One of the ways he's sustaining us is by giving us this word today. Heed the warning. Flee idolatry. Flee it. Listen to those who have gone before. We're about to take the table today. And again, we talk about all the, every single week. This is us participating. It's not just remembering. It's also participating. That's why you have to have faith in order for it to make sense. It is a participation by even coming to this table where saying, I'm, by God's grace, I'm saying no to idols by God's grace and I'm participating in the body and the blood of Christ. So come, even even those of you who feel wrecked today, um, come, participate in the body and blood of Christ. Let's stand together.